Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week, you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. So we are in our penultimate, that's just a big fun word, penultimate. Anybody know what it means? It's like the one before the last, next to last. But penultimate makes you sound so much more educated. So there's your nickel word, it's the freebie. Penultimate just means next to last. This is the penultimate sermon in the sermon series on Philippians, which means next week will be the end. But today we are going to look at some of the, the last verses in chapter 4 as we begin to wrap up. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter 4. If you are in the Bible app, hopefully I got everything right this week. And uh, you should have an event in there to be able to scroll through the notes and stuff. So remember, this sermon series is all focused on this one verse as the crux of the letter of, to Paul to the Philippian church and to us and it is this statement, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he is trying to help all of us as believers get a correct understanding on what it means to live the Christian life, to be uh, that it's, it's one of sacrifice in order that we might walk rightly and draw others to Christ, knowing that whatever we sacrifice here in this life is worthwhile because in the next life, in eternal life, we will experience nothing but gain. And so we have so much to look forward to. We're encouraged to live our lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. To live in such a way that we look and act differently in a way that, that uh, represents Christ well to the world around us and draws them to him. And we do this by understanding our role in suffering and living as faithful witnesses. Uh, that we're supposed to be people of humility and service. And as well, we are supposed to be people of sound doctrine and practice. That what we do matters and what we believe matters as well. And we talked the last couple of weeks as Paul really wrapped up most of his letter in a, a few verses. That, that this is really the summary. To live Christ is to rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. To forgive as we've been forgiven. To pray and not worry, but instead to pray, to pray, to pray thankfully, and to pray. To think properly, to think on the right kinds of things. Because as we think, we are. And then finally, to do. To live out the Christian life that's been modeled to us by believers that have come before us. And to do it faithfully. So we, we've been reminded of all of these things. And then Paul begins to share a little bit of personal information, a personal story that actually relates to the overall tone of the letter and gives us even more insight into how it is we are to live this Christian life in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 14 today. So verses 10 through 14 of Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes this, and this is kind of his P.S., his postscript. So from here through the end of the letter, he's already concluded the arguments or the, the teachings that he had for us. But these are the, the oh, and let me uh, tell you about this too. And, and while I'm thinking about it, here's something else. 
Now, they relate to the greater teaching of the letter, but they're unique in that they are not directly connected to his argument that has come previously. So here in verse 10, in the PS, Paul says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, but, uh, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering me with me in my hardship. So, most of you in reading this passage, looking at this passage together, there's probably one verse that sticks out to you. One that just kind of jumps out and grabs you because you have heard it all throughout popular Christian culture. Over and over and over again. And that is verse 13. And just to remind you, here in this translation, it says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, others of your translations might say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Or I can do everything though, through him who strengthens me. And so that verse has become part of cultural Christianity such that we see it plastered everywhere. And when I did a search for I can do all things through Christ or I can do all things through him who strengthens me, here's what comes up first and foremost are sports illusions, things about sports. Here's, this is Tim Tebow, and everybody remembers Tim Tebow, right? I mean, he was the first one to kneel, and, and, and it, it was more meaningful uh, to us as Christians. But Tim Tebow, and the verse, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. If, if you remember all the way back, he used to wear the, the eye black under here, and it'd be Phil 4.13, Philippians 4.13. And he would credit his faith to being the, the, the way, the, the, the thing that gave him the ability to be able to, to be successful in college football. Not so much in the NFL, but, but successful in college football. And, and he did well. And, and what's interesting is you keep searching, you keep scrolling down, and you find out Tim Tebow's not the only one, but, uh, you know, you, soccer. If you're a soccer player, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. In other words, you can drive on down the field and you can score that goal even if you're the goalie, right? I mean, you can do it all. It doesn't matter if it's not your role. It doesn't matter if it's nearly impossible and you'll be winded when you get there. But because Jesus loves you, you'll be able to do it. Or, or how about this? Baseball. We, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So baseball, it, it, if, if any sport it seems that this verse seems to fit, it is a perfect fit, any sport, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can buy pendants, uh, basketball, football, uh, baseball. Um, yeah, that's, so, so there was literally one, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a chess piece. How awesome is that, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what your sport is, even if it's a non-sport. You can do it because of Jesus. You can be successful. You can overcome. I mean, volleyball. Now, now, we can even go further here. It's not just sports, but I mean, look at, this is clearly the impossible becomes possible because Jesus gives you strength, right? You'll be able to mountain climb, 
you'll be able to do anything and everything. And, and so we laugh a little bit and we look at this verse though and, and it's so important for us to understand something about this verse. It has achieved this, this level of prominence and notoriety in our Christian culture where people literally will use it for just nearly anything. Well, I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Really? Fly. Like, flap your arms and fly. Well, I mean, I, that is ridiculous. Right, but you're telling me that the touchdown was because of Jesus? You're, you're telling me that the, the goal was because of Jesus? That great save. Now, uh, everybody knows that Jesus plays soccer, right? Because Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Um, he was, you know, he's the goalie. Uh, so that fell flat. All right. Um, Bridget will laugh at anything. So I, I knew it was just because she laughed doesn't mean it's a success. So here's, here's the thing, though, as we get into this notion that, that I can be successful because Jesus is going to strengthen me. And we, we take that, and it, it, can be, it can be sports, it can be business, it can be all these things. And, and while the intent is good, the interpretation and the application is terrible. And, and here's why. I'm going to tell you what we do wrong sometimes when we read Scripture. When we read Scripture, what we like to do is we like to read it and then say, here's what it means to me. And that is something that's part of our culture in American Christianity. Why? Because the Bible is not here for us to tell us how to rightly think and live. Instead, the Bible is here for us to make us feel better. And that's oftentimes the way that we will approach Scripture. And it is not entirely wrong because I have been the kind of person that has gone and, you know, I read a passage and there's a verse that sticks out and it's just like, this is life-changing. I know I'm taking it out of context, but man, the way that God's speaking to me through this, it's amazing. But what's important, though, is, is that we come back to how do we interpret Scripture? How do we try and understand what God is saying to us? And what I want you to know is that we, as good students of the Bible, should begin by interpreting Scripture in its proper historical and grammatical context. And if you, wanna, you want a fun word, another word other than penultimate, I'll give you another nickel word, hermeneutics. And we're not talking about peewee here. We're talking about the, the, the way that we study the Bible, called hermeneutics. And when we approach God's Word, we should come at it not reading it and saying, what does this mean to me? And how can I make myself feel better by using this verse in a way it was never meant to be used? But instead, we should come to Scripture with an understanding that the, the, the writer of this passage, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this verse, he had a very specific thing in mind that he wanted us to understand about the Christian life. And so we have to, as good students of the Bible, go back and try and understand what it means in context. What it means in its proper historical and literary context. So that we don't twist and misuse scripture to say things it never meant to say. Do you think when the Apostle Paul was sitting and, and probably dictating this letter, actually not writing it himself... But do you think that when he sat down and dictated this letter, that when he said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, or I can do all things through him who strengthens me, do you think he was talking about football? 
If you do, you're mistaken because it wasn't invented yet. He wasn't talking about football. He wasn't talking about basketball. He wasn't talking about our stock market portfolios. He wasn't talking about success in business. He was talking about something very specific. And so when we read scripture, it is critically important that we understand every scripture has one meaning, but it can have any number of very specific applications that varies according to our needs as believers. So we'll talk about that a little bit more as we move forward. So to understand what Paul meant when he wrote, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, we have to go back the few verses before and try and understand what it is he's trying to tell us about himself and his relationship with Christ. So he begins in verse 10, and he says this. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. So Paul says to them, I am so thankful. I rejoice in the Lord. Remember he told us to do that three different times before this. He told us to do it, and he said it twice in one verse in 4.4. So now he's living out, he says, in practice what he's already told us to be doing. I rejoiced in the Lord. I was so thankful that what, of what God was doing in my life and yours. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. Paul and the Philippian church had a relationship. And they, they would send money and resources to Paul as he was out on his different missionary journeys planting churches in other places. And finally, here, as he's writing this letter, if you remember, Paul is in prison in Rome. It's his first Roman imprisonment. And he's under house arrest, and he's been there for a couple of years. And the Philippian church sent money and Epaphroditus to Paul in order to encourage him and help support him during his time under house arrest. Because the government did not pay for his life. Instead, he had to make his own way and find his own resources. So the home he was living in, the rental he was living in had to be paid for. The food had to be paid for. And because he was under arrest, he could not as easily provide for himself. And so the churches were sending money to support Paul. So Paul says, I'm so thankful for what you've already done. I know that you've always cared, but you didn't always have opportunity to show it. But you finally did, now that I'm in prison, now that I am under house arrest. But he begins to say this to him. He says, I don't say this out of need. I'm not thankful that you sent money for my sake. He's actually thankful for their sake, that they sacrificed and gave and supported the ministry. He says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. So Paul says to the church, listen, I didn't really need your money necessarily because I've come to a place in my walk with Christ that I have made it, or it's become possible for me to be content in every circumstance. Now, the notion of contentment, this is an interesting one. When, when Paul is talking, when he's writing, when he's sharing with others, when, when he says content, they might have had in their mind, especially if they were influenced by Greek philosophy, a concept of, a, of an ability to just kind of passionlessly dis distance yourself from the everyday affairs of life. To just cut off all emotion and just be the kind of person that walks around and says things like, well, it is what it is. What are you going to do about it? 
you know, I can't help. Uh, and, and so um, th- that's kind of part of, of a, a Greek philosophy known as Stoicism. And, and there's a secondary thought that might have popped up in their minds that Paul had finally reached the, the point of being self-sufficient, like he was able to take care of all of his own needs. You know, I don't, I don't need anything because I've got everything. Like every dad at Christmas, right? I mean, what should we get you, dad? I don't, I don't need everything. I, I've got everything I need. And then, and then Christmas morning, how come nobody got me anything? Because you didn't say. That's why I, I at least put like, uh, what did I, a soap on my, you know, list. Hey, buy me soap. I need soap all the time. I'm a dirty man. Um, but just like soap-wise. So this notion of contentment, it's something that, that the culture would have been striving for. It's something that Paul says, I finally have learned how to be content. Now remember, what is learning? Learning is a process, isn't it? So he's going to talk about, here in this verse, he talks about learning. I've learned how to be content. And when we talk about contentment, is he talking about what the culture views as content? I don't have any real needs because everything's fine. Or is he talking about something else? So let's, let's begin to go a little further and we'll think about this some more. He says to the church, I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. So he he begins to lay out the the mindset that he's got that's going to get us to verse 13, I can do everything through Christ or through him who strengthens me. So he says that my life is one of being able to make do with little or to make do with a lot. Now the words little uh, there in the Greek, it, it actually means less than is necessary for everyday life. So it, essentially when he says, I've learned how to make do with little, it's I've learned how to be okay when I'm starving to death. And, and then he says, I know how to make do with a lot. And, and the, the word there means in essence, over and abundant more than is necessary for everyday life. So I know how to make do when I'm starving to death, and I know how to make things work when I am getting fatter by the minute. I I, I get this how to live with very little, next to nothing, that feels like starvation rations, and I get what it is to live with more than enough, and excess, and plenty to share. Any and all circumstances, he says he's been in. Every part of life. He doesn't leave any corner of life untouched when it comes to this ability, this learning to be content. And he says to us again, I have learned the secret of being content. So he said it before, he's learned how to be content. He says it again, I have learned, and he doesn't just say he's learned, he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. Because contentment is not an easy thing is it? It is not something that comes naturally. It is not something that that even when we have more than enough, many of us, we we are not easily contented. I know I've I've mentioned before in the past how I like Apple products, right? And and I, I like iPhones, I like iPads. I'm the guy, I actually, and some of you won't even know what this is, but I actually watch the keynotes 
when they announce new products. I sit and it's like, ooh, 16 cores? You know, and it's just like that, that actually excites me. Okay, and so like I said, Dawn doesn't even know what I'm talking about. And it's okay. But, but just, just so you know, I do weird nerdy stuff in it. I enjoy it. And I remember when I got my first iPhone. I mean, it was a 3GS. It was the, the brick with the rounded edges. Anyway, it, you don't need all the details. I got it. It was amazing. As soon as the new one came out, do you know what I wanted? The new one. And, and, and when I get the new one, it's not as good as I thought it would be. It's okay. I mean, oh, but there's another new one this year? I want a new one. I mean, I have more than enough. I have, I have more computing power in my back pocket that I sit on the majority of the time than there was in the whole, like, like all the moon missions, right? More computing power in my, power in my back pocket than in, for all the moon missions, and I'm not happy with it. Uh, because it's not flashy, it's not shiny. Does it do everything I need? Oh, yeah. Does it do more than I could ever imagine or even use it for? Yes. Because what do I use it for? Facebook, Twitter, and to take pictures of things that I'll forget, like where I'm parked. Right? I mean, that's, that's what you use your phone for. You could do so much more with it. And when, you, when the new one comes out, people like me, we go, I need the new one. Why? Because it's new and I'm not content. And I think it'll revolutionize my life and I think it'll make me happy. But guess what it'll do? The same thing this one did. It'll sit in my pocket. I'll do Twitter and Facebook and I'll take pictures of the things that I don't want to forget, like where I'm parked. But my life won't change because I'll still be discontent. I'll still be struggling. You, you guys know what it's like. Some of you right now are already thinking about lunch. This morning, somebody mentioned cold pizza. It was Ken. Ken, I'm holding it against you now. And I'm just like, yeah, cold pizza. That sounds good. Guess what? If I eat cold pizza in an hour and a half, you know what I want? A hot dog. If I get my hot dog in a couple hours, you know what I want again? I want a taco. Right, and then to top it all off, it's about bedtime, but I really would like a steak. Right, because when we eat, we're never satisfied, are we? We always want the next meal. We're always thinking of the next thing. Paul is saying, listen, I have learned when there isn't a next meal how to be satisfied in life. I have learned when there is a buffet before me that I am satisfied with life. I have learned that, that no matter the circumstances, any and all, how to be content and at peace in this life. Doesn't that sound good, brothers and sisters? He learned the secret. He says... Learning, though, is not some sort of, here are the five facts, here are the three keys to contentment. But the word learned here really means that he's been initiated into the secret of contentment. Or he has been taught it by experience. Now, some of us went through initiation. I went through a, a youth group initiation when I was a teenager. I got initiated into Ooga Booga. And um, just, if you've never been initiated in Ooga Booga, I don't want to give away all the secrets. 
but I will tell you it involves a knife and a fork and a wet sponge. And um, I won't tell you exactly how it all works out, but it's amazing when you're done. You're like, oh. And you learn the secret of Ooga Booga once you've been initiated. Paul's saying there is an initiation process. There's an experience or a lot of experiences that I have been through. And it's through those experiences and my walk with Christ that I've learned how to be content. Let's look at Paul's initiation into contentment. Because sometimes we think that, well, it was probably he just sat at the feet of Jesus and he learned, right? I mean, how precious would that be? That we could just learn how to be content in Sunday school. When we look at Paul's initiation to contentment, we might realize that contentment is hard to find because most of us don't want to learn the lesson of how to be content. So if you have your Bibles, want to open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look real quick at verses 23 through 27. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 27. Now, just to give you some context, this letter to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians was written somewhere between six to eight, maybe ten years before Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, the, 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 the book that we've been reading and studying. So this is six to ten years, potentially, earlier. So he's had another six to ten years of life experience since this verse was written that have continued to initiate him into contentment. So let's look at these verses and just see how it is that Paul was initiated into contentment. He's describing his ministry and, and validating his ministry to the church in Corinth as he begins to tell them about why it is his teaching, his leadership is worth following. And he says this in verse 23 and following. Are they servants of Christ? He's comparing himself to other teachers who are coming into the church saying that their teaching is more important or more correct than Paul's. So he says, are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. You see the standard he gives for a preacher that you should listen to? Somebody who's beat and been nearly dead and suffered a lot. So he says this to give us more details about this list. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I have faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing. Verse 28, he goes on to say, not to mention other things. <laughs> wait, wait, that's not the end of the list? No. So Paul says that his initiation into contentment, what, what had begun years before, and when he gives us the highlight here, six to eight years earlier, he says, my initiation into contentment has included labors, imprisonments, beatings, and near death. He says he has been, um, received 40 lashes minus one 
five different times. Now, you might wonder what that is. Forty lashes was actually a death sentence. And so the expectation is that you, if you had been uh, sentenced to 40 lashes, that you would be dead by the time it was done. Because it was such an excruciating and destructive experience to the body of a man. But they, they had this, uh, and, and the law required that if you had received the death sentence and survived, you could not be sentenced to death again. So, like, you get 40 lashes, you cannot be sentenced to 40 lashes again because you're dead, technically. <laughs> well, Paul says that they used to use this neat little trick. Instead of giving you 40 lashes, we'll give you 40 minus 1. So 39 lashes, which is not quite a death sentence. So you can receive it numerous times. What a cute little trick, right? Is, isn't law fun? Law and math together always gets us in trouble. He says, five different times, essentially, I was given the death penalty and received it and survived. Three times beaten with rods, one time stoned. And of course, we can, you know, throw in some funny allusion to the 60s and the 70s, but we're not talking about that. Stoning is not something where everybody picks up gravel from the path either. To be stoned was, was to be, um, in the worst of circumstances, thrown off a cliff, and then they'd throw big rocks down on you to make sure you died. Uh, Paul clearly was not uh, thrown off a cliff and, and near death in that kind of regard, but he, stoning was not little pebbles. It was big rocks that people would chunk at you trying to make sure that you died. So he's been stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. He lived a night out on the open sea. He says he, he experienced all kinds of dangers. And when he lists the dangers, it's just re remarkable, right? Dangers from rivers, from robbers, from uh, his own people, from Gentiles, in the city and in the wilderness. So like everywhere I've ever gone and everyone I've ever met has been dangerous to me. And he's been hungry He's had hardship, he's been thirsty, he's been cold. And we're not just talking once, we're talking a lifestyle of over and over again experiencing these kinds of things. In times of no food and no clothing. This is Paul's initiation into contentment. When Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content. It isn't. He nowhere says, here's the three secrets and you'll always be happy. Here are the seven keys. Here are the five pathways. It is, I have been beat up like crazy. I have suffered and suffered and suffered for the sake of Christ. Over and over again, I have been beat. I have been put to death and survived. I have been shipwrecked. I have been hungry, I have been cold, I have been naked, all for the sake of Jesus. This is my initiation into contentment. And so, when we talk about then his initiation, and then what is contentment? Well, is contentment that self-sufficiency, that ability to just distance himself and say, well, I mean, and none of it really matters. I didn't feel bad ever. Once, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of stone. I'm, I'm emotionless. 
No. Paul isn't saying that he's learned how to be self-sufficient. It isn't saying, I've learned how to not care. He gives us, in the very next verse, his secret to contentment. He has learned through initiation the secret to being content. So what is the secret? What's the secret? What, what is the, the thing that helps us learn how to be content? Well, first of all, it's being willing to go through the initiation, right? But then it's also understanding what this initiation is all about and who it's for. He says to us the secret to contentment. I'm able to do all these things through him who strengthens me. What's the secret to contentment? The secret to contentment is Christ. The secret to contentment is to live a life worthy of the gospel. The secret to contentment is to learn how to do these things that while you rejoice and while you pray and while you forgive and while you think on the right things and while you do as those who've come before you have done. That's how we do these things through him. That's how we suffer these things. It's how we, we walk through this initiation. So when Paul talks about all the things that he is able to do, he is not talking about scoring touchdowns. He is not talking about successful business deals. He is not talking about hanging onto the cliff with one hand and swinging your legs around. He is talking about, very specifically, the all things that he is able to do through him who gives him strength are things like labors and imprisonments and beatings and near-death experiences. And to, to be beat or whipped 40 minus 1 times, five times. He's been you know, beaten with rods. He's been stoned. You, you see, he's, these all things, it's the lack, it's the failure, it's the excessiveness and the goodness of God. It's, it's the success. It's all of it together that have initiated him. These are all the things He's learned how to do and be content in through his relationship with Christ. Most of us, when we talk about the all things, we want them to be nice things, right? We want them to be good things. We want them to be happy things. And Paul says, the all things that I've learned how to walk through because of Jesus aren't so great. Now, there's been some good stuff in there. But even in the midst of all of this suffering, even in the midst of all of this trouble, even in the midst of all of this lack, still learned how to be content. And so when we, we, we look at this, his contentment is not this ability to be self-sufficient or to distance himself from pain, but instead it is to understand that his relationship with Christ, that alone is sufficient for every circumstance of life. That alone is the thing that's going to define his ability to, to thrive and survive and find joy and peace, and to forgive other people, that alone, his, his walk with Christ, his life in Christ, that is what it means to be content. Not to be self-sufficient, not to be distant and emotionless, but instead to be able to be fully in the moment and realize, yes, this is terrible and I don't feel so good, but I've got Jesus. I can go through all of this because I have Jesus and I have some promises that he's given to me. I kind of mentioned this in, in Sunday school a little bit this morning about when you are a Christian, there are some things that are sure. 
when you've genuinely trusted on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you see yourself maturing and growing in Him, uh, showing the fruit of the Spirit, you can be confident that your salvation is sure. You can be comfortable in the truth that, that you have these great and precious promises that He's given to us of life abundant today and life eternal forevermore. I mean, such confidence makes it possible for us to say, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And Paul says, it's all because I have this relationship with Jesus that I can suffer all of this stuff and be able to be at peace, to be able to be content. It's, it's because of my relationship with Jesus that I don't get overwhelmed with the good things of life and make them my false gods. Instead, I still rely on Him and trust in Him completely. You see, he says the secret to contentment is your relationship with Jesus. And if your relationship with Jesus is just a get-out-of-hell-free card, you are going to struggle with contentment. If your relationship with Jesus is just some sort of empty religious ceremony, of course you're going to struggle with contentment. Because Paul isn't talking about simply acknowledging Jesus with your mouth, but denying him with your heart and with your actions. He is instead talking about a life that is fully consumed in following after Christ. Remember the summary? He says to us, when you rejoice and you forgive and you pray, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We will be provided for everything that we need through the hand of Christ in our life. So, so that means a lifestyle, not just to saying, oh, I believe in Jesus, I get to you know, go to heaven and not to hell, but instead one of really rejoicing in every aspect of your life and the things that he's blessed you in. And even those of us in the bleakest of circumstances can find things to rejoice about, especially in our culture, especially in our day and age, when the poorest of us still has microwaves and cell phones and cable television. It'd probably all be streaming by now, but you get it, right? We have so much to rejoice in, especially in the work that God is doing in and around us. We begin to practice Christ-like forgiveness, to forgive others as we've been forgiven. We pray instead of worrying, and we see that he makes provision for our spirit as we seek his face in those areas. And then to think and to do, the word says that the God of peace will be with us. And so not only will he provide for us, but we'll experience his very presence as we faithfully live a Christian life of thinking the right things and doing rightly as we've been commanded and modeled to us. So I, I just want to bring you to this point where you understand that Paul wasn't just talking about all of these things so you can be a good person, but it really has a deep and meaningful application in your life. Do you want to be content? Do you want to be able to just say, this is good, life is, is worth living, I appreciate what God has done for me, that, that this isn't some sort of, of, of uh, you know, spiritual thing that's just kind of out there for the good people, but this, this matters for each and every one of us who wants to live a life of contentment and peace, that we need to be 
pursuing Christ by rejoicing and forgiving and praying and thinking and doing. And when this happens, we get to the point where we, like the Apostle Paul, can confidently say, I am able to do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. Because he's at the center of my very existence. He's at the center of every choice I make. He's at the center of my very being. I rejoice when, when, when I see his work in my life. I forgive others as he's forgiven me. I pray when I, when I struggle with worrying. I try and think about the right things by, by reading and studying and looking and doing. And then I do the right things according to what's been modeled to me by other faithful believers in Christ himself. He becomes the center of our lives. And when that's the case, we can be content and go through all things because he will give us the strength to do so. And not just to muddle through and make it somehow clawing and scratching, but to, like Paul, genuinely be content, satisfied, at peace in the midst of some of the bleakest of situations or the greatest of blessings. But it begins with this focus upon your relationship with Christ Jesus. And it ends with that as well. It's all summed up in, are you walking with Jesus? Is he the center of your life? Or are you just pretending? Are you just saying nice things, hoping he'll let you into heaven one day? Because it doesn't have to be just a someday, hopefully, life will be better can be today, even in the midst of life not being what you expected, you can find peace in Christ. You can find contentment in Him. I love to kind of retranslate this verse in context. When Paul says, I'm able to do all things through Him who strengthens me, it is not inappropriate to add a little bit to this and say, he really means I can suffer anything that comes my way and do it with contentment when my life is focused on Christ Jesus. And so, what needs to be the center of our life when we're seeking to be peaceful people, when we're seeking to find contentment? It's not the next iPhone. It's not another relationship. It's not a bigger house or a faster car. Some of those things will make you happy for a moment, but it will not last. The contentment that genuinely lasts, the peace that genuinely perseveres, comes from a life completely focused on Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't say anywhere, so seclude yourself and live in a monastery or a convent. This is in the midst of everyday life. You can still find the contentment and the peace if only you will put Jesus at the center of every moment of your life. Contentment ultimately is going to flow from your relationship with God through Christ Jesus. That's it. It's the only place you're going to find real contentment. And so if you find in yourself discontent stirring, if you think that that one more purchase or that one different relationship will finally bring you contentment, you are mistaken. It is so sad to see families broken because one partner in the marriage decides they're unhappy and they think that somebody else will fix their problems. It doesn't happen. In fact, it just creates more. 
we see in our culture today, people who are dissatisfied with their own bodies and think that surgical alterations will make them content finally. Think that taking hormones and, and looking different, being different, being a different person would finally make them content. And we see that overwhelmingly, that's a lie. Scripturally, we know it's untrue. People, we, we think that if we change houses, if we change jobs, we'll finally be happy. It's not true. You simply move as an unhappy, discontent person from one place to another. But if you get serious in your relationship with Christ, if you take these things that Paul talks about living out, rejoicing and forgiving and praying and thinking and doing, and you apply them to your everyday life, and you begin to walk the life worthy of the gospel, you will find that you will learn contentment. But it's a process, and it also takes a willingness to stay where you're at and suffer a little bit for the sake of Jesus Christ that you might be initiated into contentment like Paul was. Because he tells us that when we do these things, when we walk in these ways, both the peace of God and the presence of God will come upon us. And man, how, how much more content could we be than when God himself is with us? We just, yeah. Contentment. If this morning you find yourself a malcontent, you find yourself unhappy with life, and you've been pondering some big change, or you've been pondering some move or some purchase, thinking that'll make you happy, I want to tell you, you're making the wrong choice. You're going down the wrong path you genuinely want to find what it is to be content, to be able to suffer all things with contentment. Turn in toward Christ. Spend more time in God's word. Begin to practice rejoicing and forgiving and praying and thinking and doing in your everyday life. And you will be initiated into the same contentment that the Apostle Paul experienced here in the book of Philippians. And guess what? This life and then it only gets better when we experience Christ face to face. There is hope for now and a promise for the future. Contentment. It's going to flow from your relationship with Christ. If you're malcontent, if you're discontent, chase Jesus even harder today. Get involved in more Bible study. Begin to rejoice, forgive, pray, think, and do. And you too will become initiated into contentment. As the worship team comes up to close us out this morning and share our last song with us, I want you to remember what the Apostle Paul said. For me, for you, for all of us, to live is Christ. And when Christ is at the center of our everyday choices and experiences, we will genuinely be alive, content, and fulfilled. And on top of that, to die is gain. It only gets better. And a good friend used to love to say, all of this, and then when we die, heaven. And it's like, you're right. All of this, and it only gets better. If you would close your eyes, bow your head, join me in just a moment.
thank you for helping us understand that this verse is not about sports. It's not about success in business, but instead it's about walking intimately. Lord Jesus, help us all to put you at the center of our existence. First by coming to a relationship with you and confessing you as our Lord and Savior. Confessing with our mouth that you are the Messiah, the Christ, the King.
I want to have enough food. Uh, so please uh, go ahead and text your RSVP by the end of today. Once today's done, you have missed your chance to share in this cool experience. It's a couple hours focusing on Christ and being able to experience a Christianized Passover dinner uh, and understand what it is the last Sunday. Bless you this week.